from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So what do we know about why they would fly at night in the first place rather than just do it in the day like the rest of us? (laughs) Well, um, scientists are still studying that, but we have hints from some of these studies. And one of the hints is that it's much cooler at night. Hmm. As you can imagine, flying is highly energetic. So it's easier for them to stay cool at night. And another thing that migration at night does, it helps them to avoid predators that would be after them during the day, such as hawks. The brighter lights actually create darker shadows, so the, usually the, the mm-hmm. argument is either cost or, you know, it's safer, you know, less crime kind of thing. But if that was true, New York City would be the safest place on Earth. I'm Sarah Fetsky. Sometimes you have to leave the city to realize just how bright the moon and stars are. Here in St. Louis, the sky just isn't as bright thanks to the artificial lighting all around us. That can be a big problem for birds, and it becomes an especially big problem in St. Louis in the next few months. And joining us to explain why and what you can do about it is Jean Favara. She's the vice president of conservation for the St. Louis Audubon Society. Jean, welcome. Hello, Sarah. How are you? So, Jean, let's talk about the birds here. It might surprise a lot of people to hear that so much of these birds' migration happens at night. What kind of problems do city lights create during that time? Uh, Bright city lights can confuse birds and distract them and further um, cause them to be attracted to city areas when they fly because that blocks what they use to navigate naturally, which includes the stars and the moon, for example. Hmm. So what do we know about why they would fly at night in the first place rather than just do it in the day like the rest of us? (laughs) Well, um, scientists are still studying that, but we have hints from some of these studies. And one of the hints is that it's much cooler at night. Hmm. As you can imagine, flying is highly energetic. So it's easier for them to stay cool at night. And another thing that migration at night does, it helps them to avoid predators that would be after them during the day, such as hawks. Hawks migrate during the day, one of the few birds that do. Hmm. And by flying at night, these birds that can be um, hunted by hawks are, are protected from them. Okay. So the nights are a big deal. The lights are a problem. Your project, Lights Out Heartland, is specifically focused on raising awareness about songbird migration in May and September. Why are those months particularly important? Those two months are some of our most high-intensity migration months in our area, in St. Louis area. In May, it's the spring migration month, and in September, that's our fall migration period. Fall migration tends to be a much more drawn-out affair um, for birds than spring, but even so, September is one of our most busy months for migrating birds in the fall here. So what's happening in the spring in St. Louis as far as these birds go? These birds are trying to mostly get to their breeding grounds. Um, So we have a set of birds in St. Louis that spend all year long with us. We have birds that come here to breed here. And then we have birds that come through here going to their breeding grounds that are likely north of us. So there's a whole mixture of birds in our area in the spring. And so this sounds like just a number of different species coming from a number of different points converging on here. Correct. And St. Louis sits underneath the Mississippi Flyway, which is one of the major flyways for migrating birds in the U.S. And that flyway 
takes in about 60% of North American songbirds and 40% of American North American waterfowl use that flyway. Hmm. And it's over 325 species that can go through that flyway as they migrate. Hmm. So I understand all that adds up to us be, being considered the fifth most dangerous city for migrating songbirds in the spring. That seems pretty intense. Yeah, some scientists from Cornell Lab of Ornithology did some analysis of both the brightness and intensity of light pollution we have in our area, and they looked at very interesting radar data. So they can literally look at the movement of birds now using weather radar, and they combine those two things, and it's modeling, and they show that St. Louis is, yes, indeed, because of the bright intensity of our lights at night and the fact that we are in a high migration intensity area, we are the fifth most dangerous city for migrating birds in the spring and the sixth most dangerous city in the fall. Hmm. We want to let you know if you have questions or comments about the topic we're discussing today. If you've been thinking a lot about birds during this pandemic, you're certainly not alone in that. Our phone lines are open. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air to join the conversation. And we actually do have another voice we want to bring into this conversation now because because light pollution doesn't just cause problems for birds. Uh, Don Ficken has some information about that. He's president of the Missouri chapter of the International Dark Sky Association. Don, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. So, Don, the International Dark Sky Association, this is focused on light pollution. What first got you interested in this issue of too much light? Well, actually, I'm an amateur astronomer, and uh, I actually thought that somebody was taking care of that, they were addressing it, but I learned that Missouri did not have a chapter. Uh, IDA, the International Dark Sky Association, is a global organization, but we didn't really have any real representation in the state of Missouri, so we decided to form one about two years ago. And so what are, what are the hopes of this organization? Are you there to, to advocate the public or to talk to public officials? Well, we, we're actually trying to do all those things. Uh, one of the projects we started very early in our, our chapter's history was just about two years ago. So we're, we're measuring light pollution throughout our state. We have about 16 sky quality meters. Uh, it's a program through Truman State University where students are involved, which is kind of a fun thing by itself. And these sky meters are really all over the state, including down the Gateway Arch, by the way. We just put one down there recently to measure that. And with that data, what we're trying to really find out is really what's going on in the state. And we're looking at some very relatively dark spaces still left in the state. We want to protect those, mm -hmm. but we also want to start slowing down the light pollution in the cities, which, which is growing pretty fast. So, Don, tell me this. I mean, beyond astronomers and beyond these songbirds that Gene is here advocating for, what kind of problems can this excess light create for humans? Well, it's, uh, <laughs> a lot of it comes down to... Uh, really and not just humans but also across the board mm -hmm. uh, you get into melatonin for example they're learning a lot more about how melatonin is impacting how how bodies work in fact i just saw an article uh, recently about how melatonin might be causing some problems with the uh, the virus basically mm -hmm. some of that people don't um, have enough of it yeah that's exactly right so what happens which is which is interesting if you think about it is that basically uh, about a third of humanity lives where they can't even see the Milky Way anymore hmm. and uh, really about 40 percent of Americans live where there's no real darkness per se I mean you're under sky glow and when you start thinking about that that has all kinds of implications if you're if you have light um, all throughout the night you never really get to see darkness in the traditional sense then uh, it's got to be messing up your melatonin. 
So I know both of you, this is something that you're hoping to raise awareness about, but you're also hoping that it, it might lead us to action. Gene, what is Lights Out Heartland um, hoping that we will do in response to this information? Well, Lights Out Heartland is a um, partnership um, between both the Missouri Dark Sky Association and St. Louis Audubon Society and multiple other partnering um, agencies and groups. And Lights Our Heartland is reaching out to many groups without, throughout our Mississippi region, um, and both in and outside of Missouri, Missouri, Arkansas, Illinois. But what we hope to do is raise awareness, and we also are um, trying to get businesses to enroll in the program, and that would mean we were asking them to turn off their lights and turn down their lighting, especially exterior lighting, for the months of May and September. Again, those high intensity migration months. Okay. And so even if you might say turn on your porch light at night, um, just in interest of, of, say, neighborhood safety, you're saying turn it off, turn it off in May and September. Yes, we'd like to both homeowners and businesses to look at your exterior lighting and turn them down or turn them off as much as possible during those two months of May and September. Don, I think it's interesting to hear about how light pollution has been steadily on the rise, even though we're all paying more attention or say we're paying more attention to energy efficiency. How do those two things go hand in hand? Well, it's actually, it is a good thing that we've had uh, some more energy efficient bulbs. Um, But what's happening is that um, there's a perception, and it's just not true, that the brighter lights that you have, the safer you are. And so if you have one particular level of lightness, well, we'll make it even brighter and therefore will be safer. The problem is, is that uh, the brighter lights actually create darker shadows. So the, usually the, the mm-hmm. argument is either cost or, you know, it's safer, you know, less crime kind of thing. But if that was true, New York City would be the, bright, the safest place on earth if it was basically brighter lights make safer things. So the combination of cost and crime and safety are usually the drivers for people to brighten things up more. Interesting. And so it just gets brighter and brighter, and then there's dark shadows in there anyway. That's right. That's right. So, Gene, this whole campaign to get people to turn off their lights, I seem to recall, I think last year, maybe the year before that, that even the Gateway Arch went dark during some of these key migratory weeks. Is that going to happen again this year? Absolutely. Um, That's kind of a bit of an interesting story. In between 2000 and 2003, St. Louis Audubon Society did surveys in downtown bird mortality surveys, very much like we were doing now. And part of that was they approached the Gateway Arch. The Gateway Arch was installing new um, spotlights on the outside of the arch. And in negotiation, the arch agreed to shut down those spotlights, those outside spotlights, in May and September during the high migration periods. It's first two weeks of May that they do it, and the last two weeks of September. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing that for many years, and they're going to do it again this year. Hmm. So for those of us who don't have floodlights that big at our disposal, we're just here as individuals, Don, what are some concrete steps that people can take to reduce bird fatalities related to light pollution? Well, actually, there's a there's a pretty good uh, listing on the LightsOutHeartland.org website. We've uh, posted that. But uh, pretty much what you're trying to do is, if if you have lights, turn them off if you can. That mm-hmm. would be a really good step to start with. Um, if you have to have lights on, maybe you're worried about safety, put them on some kind of controlled mechanism, maybe a, uh, a dimmer or um, basically a photosensitive cell. And make sure you're targeting it specifically to the area that you need to have. Why light up the, the whole sky, for example, above you? Um, 
And also, um, what we haven't talked too much about is the color spectrum of the light. Um, our, as humans, we have a fairly narrow range of, of light that we see, uh, whereas animals uh, have a much broader range. And so when we get these pretty really white and blue lights, it really goes beyond. It doesn't look necessarily uncomfortable to us, but for creatures, for wildlife out there, it can really mess things up for them. We're talking today to Don Ficken. He's the president of the Missouri chapter of the International Dark Sky Association. We're also talking to Gene Favara, the vice president of conservation for the St. Louis Audubon Society. Um, and they want to encourage you to check out, let's see, that website is lightsoutheartland.org. A lot of good tips on there for participating in this, particularly in May and September. This is so important. Gene, I understand the Audubon Society also has a project called Bird, Sa- Bird Safe St. Louis, and that has some relation to this topic. Tell us what you guys are looking at with that study. In that study, what we're doing is I have volunteers who go out in about an 8 by 8 block of the downtown St. Louis. And we're looking and going from building to building. We do this three times a week in the morning. And we're collecting, um, unfortunately, dead birds Mm. to understand where in the city landscape our birds are meeting challenges and having trouble and to give us an idea of how many dead birds are being found during migratory periods. And last fall was our first set of surveys. We surveyed from through September into the middle of October, and this year we just got started um, about a week ago, and we anticipate going through the end of May. And is this survey something that has worked elsewhere or worked in past years and, and helped identify something that could change? Correct. So um, these surveys were done between 2000 and 2003, and that did result in the Gateway Arch shutting down its spotlight. Hmm. And many other cities use these surveys as the same way, as a a tool to understand where in the landscape the birds are having trouble in your um, downtown areas. So we let our listeners know on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page and on our Twitter that we were going to be talking about the topic of birds today. And we heard from from several bird enthusiasts. Uh, Mary wrote on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page, This year at home, birds have become more important. The regular finches and sparrows became like family. Now with migration, they are coming back home. When I felt trapped, I see the red-tailed hawks circling our neighborhood, and it gives me a lift. I feel free for a moment. So many people are putting bird feeders out to bring the feathered community closer. I'm hoping that love lasts long after COVID is gone. The day we saw a bald eagle over Kirkwood Park was pure magic. Jean, do you think more people, as we have been spending so much more time at home and looking out into our backyards, even spending time in our backyards, have people become more interested in birds in this past year? Oh, absolutely. Um, If you do a little check and kind of check out what's been happening in response to the pandemic, what you see is that, for example, bird feeder sales and bird bass and bird seed sales have increased in many areas in the United States. Um, there is an application called eBird, and eBird is an application you can have on your smartphone, and many birders use it to electronically in real time submit what they're seeing in an area. And we, they found that um, more people were using that application than ever before. Hmm. And they could even track how it was being used based on what regulations were in place in a given region. So, um, for example, in a region with higher shutdown level, they were finding more people putting in birds they would find in their backyards. So they weren't traveling much. They were in their lockdown mode. But in other areas where they weren't quite so locked down, they would find that people were tracking birds 
further away from their home. So it's really an mm. interesting um, view of what's happening in human behavior and with what our local regulations were guiding us to do. And so the pandemic really was having an impact on, on bird behavior. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they've also shown that birds have been changing their songs in response to the quieter environment they're now living in, and um, in the sense that they often are now singing in a few decibels lower than they did once when the all noise is all present, and they can make their songs more variable and have more flourishes in those songs, and that's kind of interesting. And there are even studies now doing following up to see if that could lead to better defend territories by these birds and better ability to attract mates. Hmm. So all that, that that work has been done in this pandemic period. Don, we've been talking a lot about birds here, and it's exciting to hear how, you know, one of the few silver linings coming out of this pandemic has been some of these observations about them. I'm wondering if this has also been good for astronomers, that maybe with having more downtowns go dark, that, that maybe you've been able to see the sky better. Has there been any difference? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, astronomers, the equipments, uh, that it's hard to actually purchase equipment these days. It's uh, it's on order, it's backlogged, um, it's very difficult. Hmm. And I will say that I'm a, I am an amateur astronomer, but I think I was first a wildlife person. And so, um, you know, we have a, a very diverse board uh, as far as our IDA Missouri, and one of them is in the Missouri State Parks. And one of the things that they were talking about is just how crazy the, the uh, crowds were going to the parks, hmm. uh, particularly during the start of the COVID do you do you hope that coming out of this this connection that we've all kind of felt towards nature during all these months of of so much else being closed that that's something that we can sustain and can drive a change in our behavior even as things start to eventually get back to normal i i would hope so you know a lot of what i find and and, you know again our chapter is relatively new just about two years um, is that when I talk with the public, and this is when we used to be able to do face-to-face stuff, is that people really don't think much about light pollution. They turn on the light, they turn off the light. Uh, they don't think about how bright it is or if it's shining in their neighbors. Uh, but when they start thinking about it, they go, almost always have a story where um, when they grew up, they, they could see the Milky Way somewhere or somebody's shining a light in their window or there's a gas station that's brightening, getting too bright or whatever else. Mm-hmm. As people become more aware of this, this is really a good thing. and. Um, by the way, one thing I would suggest is an action step is that on darkskymissouri.org, uh, there's a home lighting uh, thing that you can take a look at your house. It'll give you steps to go through to uh, kind of look at, see how your your house looks as far as lights. Are you basically dark sky friendly? Hmm. And it's something, it's a good way to basically, there's five principles that you can follow, and those apply not only to, to the lights out Heartland, but also to homes and whatever else. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an area of technology where it's changing, and these principles keep moving around a little bit, but it's a, it's a very interesting thing to follow up on. Well, those are two great resources. We want to encourage people to check out darkskymissouri.org as well as lightsoutheartland.org and do what you can, especially, again, we're going to hit that this month of May. This is a critical time. So Don Ficken, president of the Missouri chapter of the International Dark Sky Association, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. And Jean Favara, Vice President of Conservation for the St. Louis Audubon Society. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? 
suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.